0: The confession by Kenneth McDuff's accomplice in the kidnapping of Colleen Reed from an Austin car wash jumpstarted the manhunt for the serial killer. Armed with an arrest warrant for murder, the fugitive hunters launched a nationwide dragnet. The U.S. Marshal Service publicized their nationwide dragnet for Kenneth McDuff on the America's Most Wanted television program. An employee at a waste disposal company in Kansas City immediately recognized McDuff's mugshot and called the police. McDuff had already been busted there in a prostitution sting using the alias Richard Fowler from a stolen ID. Parnell McNamara says McDuff worked on a garbage truck by day and hid out in a homeless shelter
1: by night. He had been living somewhere up there, I think, a homeless shelter. He was on a trash truck. How appropriate is that? You know, a, a piece of human garbage riding on a trash truck. Uh, he was worse than any piece of trash that they had in the back. Excuse my language, but this this guy's just so despicable. And so, anyway, uh, The Kansas City police and the marshal set up on the trash truck, and as he made his rounds, um, they arrested him, you know, at that point.
0: McNamara and other lawmen boarded a U.S. Marshal Service jet to Kansas City to bring McDuff back to Waco, Texas, to stand trial for capital
1: murder. We took a plane load of us with one empty seat for McDuff on the way back and flew into Kansas City that night we ended up getting to the jail the county jail at night about midnight and so we got mcduff out of the cell and started interrogating him there in the in the uh, county jail we just started talking to him asking him where he'd been what he was doing at that time he thought all we were up there for was him violating his parole so he was acting cocky he was telling us how he had stabbed people in prison and got in a knife fight with a guy, and he was showing us uh, the guy had his, was holding his knife this way, and I was holding mine that way, and I had more reach on him, and I cut the SOB to shreds. You know, he was bragging about all the stuff that he'd done. And so we were just talking to him, and then we asked him uh, where he was Christmas, because we knew that he had been in Austin on Christmas Day, uh, 1991, looking for kids to kidnap with another thug that had already given us statements that he tried, wanted to kidnap two little girls that were on roller skates Christmas Day that were skating down the sidewalk on South Congress. So this guy wouldn't let him do that even though he was a thug and a fighter um, he wasn't a kid killer. Then McDuff goes to a dairy queen and there's two girls on a phone booth outside and McDuff tells his his partner, uh, we're going to get these two kids and go. And that guy would not let him hit him in the, the arms said McDuff take off. We're not getting any kids. And so he said, McDuff backed up very slowly and watched those kids as far as he could see them down the street. And, uh, then four days later on the 29th of October, of December is when he kidnapped Colleen Reed so we asked him where he was on Christmas Day and he said uh, I don't remember and we said come on McDuff everybody remembers where you were Christmas Day you know yeah and he said not me with a big old smile and we said well let's let me, re- you know, refresh your memory. How about in Austin, driving around in your tan Thunderbird with so and so, uh, and looking for little girls to kidnap. And at that time, he. Uh, he backed up, and this is after maybe 45-minute interrogation, maybe an hour, and we started hitting him with this: "Where were you on Christmas mm-hmm. Day?" And so then he lawyered up, and and uh, that would that would have been about two o'clock in the morning, and so we had to terminate the yes, uh, the interrogation
0: on the flight back to Waco. The unemotional Macduff gazed out the window as if nothing was wrong. Lawman stared at McDuff. They dwelled on the horrific torture suffered by Colleen Reed. Parnell McNamara says for a split second, he thought about pushing McDuff out of the emergency exit.
1: He was uh, acting like nothing bothered him at all. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of sitting there by him, and I looked at the uh, emergency hatch, and I thought, you know, what if... I or somebody else turned the latch, and kicked him out, and let him fall thirty-five thousand yeah. feet. It takes five to six minutes to hit the ground, and let him think about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, would I've done it? No. But did I think yeah. about it? Absolutely.
0: The Marshal Service jet taxied to a stop at the Waco Regional Airport. The cabin door opened and stairs folded out. McDuff stepped out wearing a white T-shirt green Army fatigue pants with his wrist handcuffed at the front of his waist. An angry crowd pressed against a chain-link fence by the tarmac. They cried out for some old-style hanging tree justice. Deputy U.S. Marshal Mike McNamara and Inspector U.S. Marshal Dan Carnavalli flanked McDuff and held him with a firm grip on each bicep. McDuff, slightly balding and thinner, with his hair slicked back, towered six inches above them with a menacing expression. I shoved out my microphone and asked McDuff if he had killed anyone. He glanced into the TV camera and said no.
1: Did you kill anyone, Mr. McDuff?
0: Parnell McNamara walked behind McDuff.
1: I remember you being there. Yeah,
0: and he just shrugs it off like nothing, just nothing. Yeah,
1: it, it didn't mean any more to him than going to the store buying an ice cream.
0: The marshals put McDuff into the back seat of a sheriff's cruiser. Parnell McNamara climbed in to sit beside McDuff. When McNamara saw the size of the angry crowd that
1: greeted McDuff, he became worried. We had gotten word that morning that there had been threats that had gone into America's Most Wanted, that they were going to kill him before he got to the federal courthouse. So we were on edge. You know, uh, I'll take a bullet for a lot of people, family and good friends, but never a scumbag like this. Uh, So we were afraid that we were going to get shot on the way to the courthouse because of these threats, because so many people wanted to kill this guy. And so we had to run almost all the red lights and we had the sheriffs in front of us, maybe a police unit, but there was probably 10 or 15 police cars in that caravan going to the federal courthouse. So once we got there, that's where the huge crowd was. And it had it could have been 100, 150 mm-hmm. people or more. And they were screaming and cursing this guy. And uh, it was unbelievable. And now, you know, this guy that we have been chasing and, and trying to catch all this time. Now, we had to protect this lowlife SOB from the crowd and get him into the courthouse and and get him magistrated.
0: More than 200 people waited for McDuff's arrival on the lawn of the federal courthouse in downtown Waco. As the motorcade sirens drew closer and closer, the crowd turned into an angry mob. Melissa Northrop's sister-in-law's shook their clenched fist at Macduff and screamed to the top of their lungs.
1: This is my, thank the Lord. No.
0: He's gonna get you Bill Johnston also arrived at the Federal Courthouse in Macduff's motorcade. Johnston says the community's anger about the parole of the deranged sexual killer just boiled over. Cursing and screaming, and then over the top of that, at one point oh, horrible gosh, it's terrible. I think a sister of one of his victims began screaming at him. And it was, uh, it was so personal. Her, her, it it was unbelievable, but it was a horrible, it was a, it was a shocking scene because we'd been out of town didn't know what all had happened and then when we got back there was this big crowd but it was it was really something it was it was a little bit dangerous not in a way for us but i think someone would have they would have probably stolen him and killed him had they been able to i felt the crowd lunge forward they wanted to tear kenneth mcduff limb from limb he should not be out because he could he killed three people and he was on death row that's not right it's not right for anybody who's on death row to be free that's not right at all Dan Stoltz worried that shots were going to ring out and his marshals were in the line of fire.
1: I hate to tell you this, it wasn't going to happen on my watch. Uh, the federal, the, the marshal service gave me the, the authority to go out and arrest him. And then they gave me the authority and the responsibility to, once he was arrested and he was in our care, custody, and control, to protect him. So, as much as I hated McDuff, And I'm going to tell you, I hate him. And I don't hate a lot of people in my life. Much as I despise and hate this guy, uh, we had to protect
0: him at the same time. After the crowds left the federal courthouse in Waco and I finished my live television news broadcast, Parnell McNamara asked me to come inside to the U.S. Marshal's office. A somber mood filled the room. McNamara's office looked like something you would find in Tombstone in the Old West. He opened his drawer and pulled out Alva Hank Worley's confession, the confession you heard in the previous episode about Macduff's kidnapping and torture of Colleen Reed. McNamara looked me straight in the eye and he sternly told me, We've done our job. Now you do yours. Find out how this monster got out of prison on parole. I
1: felt like that the parole board was totally responsible and the ones that were involved in selling his parole or taking money to turn him loose ought to do a lot of time. I felt like they should be in prison. There was a lot of blood on their hands. It made me sick. Uh, We interviewed one of his close relatives who told us that they had a family meeting with one of these parole consultants. and. I commend you to this day for exposing this because we couldn't expose it. We could catch him, run him down, and do all that part. But you're constantly digging into this nasty thing of parole consultants, where former parole board employees get off the parole board and form a company called Parole Consultants.
0: Waco's anger subsided. Later that evening, patrons at a local restaurant gave the Marshal's task force a standing ovation when they walked in for dinner. McDuff sat alone, locked in a cell. Now it was time to find out, as Marshal McNamara said, who had blood on their hands. And we found out that the parole system, not only were they putting them in the front and letting them out of the back, but the parole board was, there were some corrupt people on that board and they were taking money for getting people out. It was just a bad system. Next on True Crime Reporter, I uncover allegations that McDuff's family paid a $25,000 bribe to get him out of prison. We want to be your favorite podcast and we'll appreciate your review wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you have a suggestion or know of a case we should look into, email us at fan at truecrimereporter.com. To follow our email messages with updates and bonus information from episodes, please join our fan base at truecrimereporter.com. True Crime Reporter is a trademarked and copyrighted news production, hosted and written by me, Robert Riggs, executive producer Elizabeth Arnold, producer and operations manager Grace Woodward, producer Siler Burr, original music for the Free to Kill series Blair King, Sound design for Free to Kill, Matt Stoker. Graphics, Brian David Kerr. You can read more about all of our news team members at truecrimereporter.com.